everyone and welcome to another episode of our biomass series of podcasts. Today we're going to be discussing the EU's Renewable Energy Directive and how it has and will continue to impact regulation, supply and demand in the biomass sector. Uh, joining me today is René de Padua, Policy Director at Bioenergy Europe. Hi René, thanks for joining me. Hi John, but really glad to be here with you today. So that, let's uh, jump right into it then. So um, the European Council has recently approved the uh, the final text for Red 3, uh, which strengthened the sustainability criteria for biomass and energy and ensured that a cascading principle for feedstocks is applied by member states. Um, what are the wins and losses for the biomass, biomass industry as a whole from uh, Red 3? Well, th- first of all, thank you for the question. I think the biggest win is for sure the higher renewable energy target. We now have a 45% uh, renewable target by 2030, but also subsectoral target, in particular, a new mandatory target for renewables in the eating sector, and also indicative target for the decarbonization of districts, but also industry. Uh, if we speak about the um, cascading principle. Well, this is something that is already happening in the market in a way because high quality biomass usually goes directly to so many industries because foresters are paid much more than for low quality residues that are instead used for bioenergy. However, what we do have now in the legislation is that member states will need to explicitly consider this principle when developing their uh, schemes for supporting bioenergy. Of course, there will be some uh, derogations based on the uh, feasibility at local level, so the capacity of the industry in terms of economic or technical perspective to use this wood and this feedstock for high quality material. And though what we do see here is that this will for sure increase the administrative burden. So especially for smaller player, this will be an additional effort that we'll need to put into place. So this is a bit the losses that we see in the revision. Okay. And um Looking back to Red 2 as well, um, how is the rollout of Red 2 progressing now? Um, and has the gap in implementation among some member states uh, narrowed since earlier in the year, uh, when there were some discrepancies between the progress made by uh, by particular countries? So, unfortunately, there is not much to say on that yet, because indeed the member states are moving at a very different pace. Some of them already implemented Red 2, some are still missing. Uh, We do have some secondary legislation that is still needed to some member states or in certain countries what we notice is that there is a lack of auditors which are available and so cannot certify compliance with the new renewable directive criteria. So indeed uh, there is not a uniform trend uh, right now in Europe. We are still lagging behind uh, and we do hope that the system will be up and running soon but as it is today this is not yet the case. And um, so Red Free then, um, in terms of implementation um, for Red Free as well, are the deadlines or start dates uh, where that is likely to start taking place at the moment, or is that still unclear? So for this one, I can give you a better answer, John, because indeed, as you mentioned, both the co-legislator approved the final deal on Red Free. Uh, it was published in the official journal on 31st of October and will now enter into force on 20th of November. After that, member states will have up to 18 months to transpose this in national legislation. So the end date for that is the 21st of May 2025. And of course, as Bioenergy Europe, we've been discussing with our members and we've been active to ensure that there is a consistent implementation so that we have a uniform approach of what is transposed as in the, the different national legislation. And just looking Uh, a bit more in the details of the um, red directives. Uh, There's been a lot of focus on energy production, Um, but do they address biomass use for 
uh, more hard to sectors such as sustainable aviation fuel, steel, cement. Um, and if not, what challenges does this pose to, to these sectors going forward as they want to uh, look towards net zero? Well, first of all, sustainability criteria do apply to all bioenergy used in Europe. So this also includes hydro-based sector and stuff. And I think like for every new regulatory changes in the beginning, there is always a little bit of confusion, some questions that are still unanswered. And this is the case as well for uh, in this situation. Uh, but we do not expect this will have a bad impact on the development of SAF. It's actually quite the opposite. We do see a bright future ahead. In particular, we also see a clear commitment from the European Union to the carbonized transport sector. And as an example, we do have a new target that combines advanced biofuels and RFMBOs, which are renewable fuels of non-biological origin. And that, I think, clearly shows that indeed there is a willingness from the European Union to have a clear strategy for SAF and for also the carbonized solution in the transport sector. Mm -hmm. Just moving on then, the um, the decentralised nature of uh, the EU's financial support for projects in renewable energy uh, and carbon removals um, has sometimes made it difficult for companies to fully benefit from the funds, um, while other more centralised systems, such as in the US with the um, Inflation Reduction Act, um, off faster track for investments uh, in fields such as BECs. Um, are there any plans in place to speed up procedures in the EU? Um, and following on from that, is the EU a leader or, or a follower in the global arena in this sense? Well, first of all, I would like to say that the EU is indeed the leader in the energy transition. However, if we look at the European Union and the USA, they are quite two different worlds. And especially if we talk about decision making, the procedure are quite different indeed. So that's why also uh, the IRA will have a very different impact in the US market than what the Net Zero Industry Act will have in Europe. Uh, one example, again, is that uh, the IRA gives support in the form of tax credits, and this is simply not possible in the European system. So Europe will need to find ways to attract new investments. And as Bioenergy Europe, we've also been quite active in including carbon removal solutions in the Net Zero Industry Act to make sure that Europe has also a competitive and strategic advantage there to promote uh, carbon removals and to fight against climate change. However, indeed, if the EU lacks this uh, new, uh, fails in finding this new investment, it risks falling behind uh, in the net zero technology ecosystem. And in this context, I think it's important also to mention another initiative that's ongoing right now in Europe, which is the Carbon Removal Certification Framework, the CRCF. So this is an initiative to create a new European carbon market. And indeed, we do see that this by establishing, by certifying carbon removals, this will also boost investment in European technologies. And just uh, finally, just more specifically on, um, on woody biomass, um, the EU approved a regulation on deforestation early this year, which requires mandatory due diligence for operators and traders selling imported cattle, cacao, coffee, etc. From December next year, um, what do you expect the EUDR's impact to be on on biomass and especially woody biomass? Yeah, so well, of course, the UDR will have an impact on the biomass market because it does change the requirements and the data collection that will be needed to um, commercialize products in Europe. Um, in the short term, uh, there might be some issues, let's say, in the sense that some material might be diverted from the European market because of this new provision and the adaptation period that is needed. 
Uh, and especially what I think it's important here is that the traceability approach and the risk management, uh, which is included in the UDR provisions, is quite different from the Renewable Energy Directive one. So we will also need to understand how these two will work together. And again, here there are quite some unanswered questions which are still being taken care of at European level. However, I also would like to stress that the biggest obligations, which are currently uh, in the UDR, uh, will ap applies to actors that puts product into the market. So uh, whether we speak about internal market or import, is still who's putting the, the good into the market. So this will most likely apply mostly to other actors in the value chain higher up compared to the bioenergy actors. So it will be less impacting on our sector, let's say, compared to other sectors. Thanks, everyone. It's been uh, it's been really interesting to hear uh, about these developments. Um, I'm sure everyone's going to be keeping an eye on uh, how Red 2 and Red 3 implementation progresses and what it will mean in the end for the biomass market as a whole. So uh, thank you very much for joining me today, Irene, and who uh, I imagine will be quite busy uh, head of uh, the European Bioenergy Future Conference uh, for Bioenergy Europe that will take place in Brussels on the 29th and 30th of November. Thank you so much for having me, John. Uh, we are almost getting there for the conference and we do expect quite a good audience. We'll be talking about uh, market and policy, so ongoing trends, but also which legislation impact the bioenergy sector. We'll have industry market player, politicians, you name it, research and academia, a bit of everything. So really looking forward to seeing you and some colleagues from Argos as well in Brussels. Uh, and for our listeners, uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please uh, be sure to look out for future episodes in our Biomass series of podcasts. Uh, and for more information on Argus's coverage of the biomass market, please visit argusmedia.com slash biomass. Thank you. Thank you.